Hello and welcome back to EdChoice Chats. I'm your host, Jason Bedrick, Director of Policy at EdChoice, and this is another edition of our Big Ideas series. Today, I'm excited to be joined yet again by Dr. Lindsay Burke, the Director of the Center for Education Policy and Will Skillman Fellow in Education at the Heritage Foundation, who is the author of a recent report for the American Enterprise Institute titled An Appraisal Market for K-12 Education, which is the subject of today's conversation. Lindsay, welcome back to the podcast. Thank you for having me. So to kick us off, what are appraisal markets and what problem are they trying to solve? Yeah, so in general, if we take a step back, 30,000 foot step back from the K-12 education space and just think broadly about appraisal markets and the appraisal process, we find this type of process in everyday life all over the place. If you buy a home, you get your home appraised or the seller gets the home appraised in order to provide the buyer with information about how much the home actually costs. If you buy expensive jewelry, you might get that jewelry appraised before you make the purchase. We see it in things like horse purchases. So there's an equine appraisal market. There's an appraisal association of America. We get appraisals for antiques. We get appraisals for all kinds of things in our day-to-day lives in order to have high quality information about the value of a given product. What is lacking, and what I argue in this piece, is that we don't have a similar type of appraisal market in the K-12 education space, and it is an expensive market. It's on par, if you look at what we spend in the aggregate, right, to get a child from kindergarten all the way through graduation, easily $180,000 plus to get that child through graduation, uh, that would rank for most parents up there with home purchases or car purchases. It's an extremely expensive market, and yet it lacks this very vital information that would be quite useful for families, particularly as they're engaging in the school selection process. All right, but don't we already have some groups out there that are doing this sort of thing? I mean, we've got great schools, there's niche.com, and even in, you know, let's say public schools, we've got standardized testing. So doesn't that count? It does to some extent, right? So if you look at a website like niche.com or like great schools, these are excellent sites. They provide great information to families when they're looking at selecting into a school, emphasis on the school. What's lacking, I think, for most families, for the most part, is a more granular level of information at a more rapid pace than families currently receive it. So right now, If a school tests a student as a part of some sort of state assessment requirement or other annual assessments that they do, it's just that, right? It's it's annual. And so the information when parents do receive it might not be nuanced enough to make decisions about how they need to course correct for what their child's learning or not learning. And it often comes very late, right? You might get it the next year, even the next fall when your kid enrolls in the next grade level. So it's not always super useful information. What an appraisal market in K-12 education could do is it would enable policymakers to equip families with a portion of their resources. We want to talk about the policy solution and to then be able to pay external auditors, external assessors, if you will, that they have chosen that align with what they want their children to learn to get that immediate feedback on where their child is within a given subject, even maybe a discrete area within a given subject. So it would provide lower level, more specific granular level of information that would be actionable for families. 
All right, so the standardized tests and grade schools and niche.com, they're going to tell you, you know, what a particular school or education provider is doing on average. And even the right. standardized tests are usually summative, or sometimes you'll have one at the beginning of the year and one at the end of the year so you can track growth. But what you're talking about is something that's a little bit more ongoing. It's fine-tuned. It's a particular student at a particular moment in time with advice for areas where he or she could be improving, right, and how to get there. Are there any companies out there that are already providing something like this? There are companies that are out there that are doing something very similar and that parents can pay out of pocket to access. So there are companies, there's one called Dreambox, which provides the type of formative assessments that you're talking about, as well as some summative assessments for kids who are elementary school age through middle school. And it's available to parents. It's, it's reasonable. It's about $100 per year for families. There are other companies out there like Lexia that provide adaptive literacy assessments and math assessments, other diagnostic tools that are out there, even things like Regents exams, right? They provide some level of information, but it's still maybe a level too high, right, to be super actionable for families. So there are some companies that are out there that provide those immediate assessments, BJU Press, Bayside School Services. So some of these companies in the classical content space, some companies that serve homeschooling families really well. But this is something that could be much, much more readily available to families. And it's a market that could be much more robust if we freed up some of the existing resources that we already spent. And look, this isn't something that is theoretical. Arizona does this in a way, right? If you are a student who is eligible and you enroll in Arizona's education savings account program, that's one of the allowable expenses of your ESA. You can use a portion of that money to pay for individual assessments. And that's great, but that is an exception in ed policy at the moment and not the rule. So we should make that the rule. We should free up these resources and allow families to get actionable diagnostic information quickly. So when you say it's the exception, not the rule, it raises two questions in my mind. And the first one is, uh, to what extent is it the exception? Do we know how many families are actually using these services? Yeah. So that's a good question. When I say the exception, I mean it's the policy exception. So mm -hmm. there are certainly thousands of families across the country who are paying largely out of pocket for existing diagnostic tools to assess their student. Even if you go to a learning center like Kumon Learning or, or some of these other centers that have been around for decades now, they're going to provide you with some diagnostic information before they begin providing tutoring services to your child. That's certainly widespread. What is the exception is parents having the flexibility with their taxpayer-funded education dollars that are earmarked for their child or should be earmarked for their child. That's the exception, being able to tap into those resources like they allow in Arizona, like they allow in Florida, and to be able to pay for some of these external audits. And that leads to the second part of my question. It's the exception, not the rule. Why not make it the rule in the sense of, instead of having a market and all these different firms and they're providing their own, you know, this, this firm may do assessments this way, this other one may do it another way. You know, we in the policy world like apples to apples comparisons. <laughs> why not, instead of advocating for a market in appraisals, why not advocate that the government actually just step it up and do these sorts of formative assessments in every single school in real time, you know, on a, monthly basis or something like that, 
why not go in that direction instead of going in the direction of a market? Well, first, I would say there are governments, right, state governments, federal government, even local governments, they've been doing this right forever, where they have been assessing students with assessments that are largely not valuable to parents. And so parents recognize this. If you look at all the survey work that's out there, they put things like state assessments of a school at the very bottom of information that they use to determine how well a school is fitting the needs of their child. But second, and much more importantly, is that every parent has different hopes and dreams and aspirations for what their child will learn. And you are going to need different types of assessments to determine whether or not the education that they are accessing is ultimately putting them on a path to fulfill those aspirations. Every child's different, right? Their kids, not apples. So yes, apples to apples comparisons are useful for researchers. And we all use the National Assessment of Educational Progress to get good information on how California is doing relative to Florida. But for a parent, it's going to be that immediate feedback from a teacher, from an external auditor, from these assessments that we're thinking through that are diagnostic in nature and that reflect what they want their children to learn and the curriculum that they've opted into. What is beautiful right now is we have so many different school models, particularly if we're being optimistic about pandemic life. <laughs> We have so many different school models that are proliferating, and they all have different goals for their schools. We can look at pods right now. Pods are now forming around what are being called single subject pods. So let's say that you are a family, you are participating in a single subject pod that is just focused on learning French. You're going to want an external assessment that can assess whether or not your child is actually learning to speak French. Or if you're doing a history pod in a single subject pod, you're going to want some sort of ex external history audit. So we need a market that can be flexible, that can provide lots and lots of assessment options for families, because there are lots and lots of visions out there for what constitutes a quality education that will set students up to be successful and to live the good life moving forward. All right, so that's that's great. So in other words, we've got a diversity of education models and that requires a diversity of appraisals, mm -hmm. of appraisers and approaches to appraising. Why though, isn't this more widely used? I mean, if we do have a diversity of models out there and you've got parents that want this information, so why isn't there a more robust appraisal market in K-12 education already? Yeah, well, it's because Right now, there is a entity that looks quite like a monopoly called public education <laughs> that is out there that has crowded out a lot of innovation. And I would say that that also applies to innovation and assessments. <laughs> the district-run school system, right, we have 90% of students in public schools. We have about 70% of students who are in assigned public schools, according to the National Center for Education Statistics. And those assigned public schools have assigned state assessments that, by the way, for years were much more heavily mandated from the federal level. No Child Left Behind brought us federal testing mandates where the federal government said to states, you have to test every child every year in grades three through eight and then again in high school and you have to do it in these core subjects. And by the way, every kid has to be on course to meet adequate yearly progress by the 2013-14 school year, which by the way, not a single state was on track to do. 
And if they didn't meet that requirement, there was going to be a cascade of sanctions that fell on them. And so that really drove, I use market, but it's not a market, but that really drove the environment for assessment, that it was mandated from the very top, from the federal level. And so when states are providing these assessments in response to federal mandates, uh, states are doing it. They're doing it on the tax paradigm and crowding out what could potentially be more fruitful and useful assessment options in something like an appraisal market. So for policymakers who would like to move in this direction and open up these appraisal markets, what would you recommend? What would be your advice? Well, I think the, the main thing is just separating the money that families currently have spent, the taxpayer dollars that are currently spent on their child in a district school from the assessment process. So in other words, we wanna separate the evaluation of education from the providers of that education. And that makes sense, right? If you are providing any product, and this gets back to the idea generally of appraisals, if you're providing a product, you don't want the provider to be the same person that tells you whether or not it's a good product. You want these external audits to exist. But right now, that's how our K-12 system works for the most part. The provision of education is delivered. The assessment of that education is assessed by the same people who are providing it. So you could get, hypothetically, much more accurate, much more rigorous assessments if you separated that evaluation of education from the providers. And so you do that through policy as you do with everything that we recommend <laughs> by freeing up the dollars to have parents control the money and by making one of the allowable uses of those dollars, external audits, assessments, however a parent wants to determine that their child is on track to meet the parent's aspirations and hopes and dreams educationally for that child. Our guest today has been Lindsay Burke, the director of the Center for Education Policy and Will Skillman Fellow in Education at the Heritage Foundation. You can read her new report, An Appraisal Market for K-12 Education at the American Enterprise Institute's website. Lindsay, thanks so much for joining us. Thank you for having me. This has been another edition of EdChoice Chats. If you have any ideas for authors you'd like us to interview for the Big Idea series, please send them to media at edchoice.org and be sure to subscribe to our podcast. Follow us on social media at EdChoice and don't forget to sign up for our emails on our website, edchoice.org. Thank you. We'll catch you next time. Thank <laughs> you.